Hey, welcome to the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring life change through Christ to all people. And we believe that happens when people say yes to Jesus. Do life together, get in the game and leave a legacy. If this podcast inspires and challenges you to grow in your faith, subscribe to ensure you don't miss a single episode and share it with someone you know who may need it too. Again, thank you for joining us today. Now, let's get to this week's episode. So, uh, have you ever wanted something so bad that you prayed for it over and over, and then you just quit? Whether it was the, uh, it was the dream job or that you wouldn't get laid off, whether it was the perfect spouse or that you wouldn't get divorced, it could have been that you wanted a healing for yourself or someone that you love. It could be that uh, you wanted to eliminate a bad habit or be better at something that you really enjoyed or that just someone was able to see you, that they would value you and they could see you and love you. I think all of us have been in that place before where we've prayed those messages. And a lot of times we pray for a week or two and then we stop. And then we end up with what we didn't continually seek God for. Uh, So today's scripture reading is going to talk about that. And we're going to be talking about not just prayer, but persistence in prayer. So if you would, uh, we're going to read from the 18th chapter of Luke, verses 1 through 8. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge honored her for the while, ignored her for a while. Uh, But finally, he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant request. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find? on earth with faith. So this is a parable, and a parable is a story that takes um, concepts that are hard to understand and makes them understandable. Typically, the characters in the parable can be compared to us or to God. So there are two different types of parables. There's a parable of comparison where you're comparing the characters in the parable to God in a favorable light, and they're like God. Or there's a parable of contrast when we're doing the exact opposite. Well, this is a parable of contrast. And the two main characters in this are the unjust judge and the persistent widow. So let's first dive into the unjust judge. The unjust judge, to his own admission, and he didn't mind saying this. And I, I know, do you guys know people that don't mind telling you that they're wrong and they're okay with it? Do you guys know people like that? They're usually, I mean, yeah, it's, it's yes. So he said he did not fear God, so therefore he lacked wisdom. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all understanding. If you can't understand, how can you be wise? So the unjust judge lacked wisdom. Secondly, 
He said, I don't care for people. So he had no compassion. Zechariah 7, 9 and 10 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy one to another. Do not oppress the widow. So the unjust judge had no wisdom and he had no compassion. Thirdly, he was probably most likely a judge that was appointed by the Roman Empire to go from city to city to city to render civil judgments. So these judges typically were called robber judges because they would only render judgments in favor of the persons that would give them a bribe. So he was selfish. So the unjust judge was, he lacked wisdom, he lacked compassion, and he was selfish. So how could he ever render a just and true judgment? So now let's contrast the unjust judge with a just God. God is the very definition and standard for justice. Isaiah 30, 18 says this. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Thank God he is a God of justice. Also, He is an equitable God. And what do I mean by equitable God? He he doesn't play favorites. Acts 10.34 says this. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're the CEO of a multi-billion dollar company or if you're that person at Jefferson and Oyster Point begging for a quarter. God sees and values those people the same. God loves you wherever you are. God wants to extend to you what the unjust judge could never extend to you. Kindness, compassion, and justice. Not showing favoritism. So let's go to the other character. Now we've talked about the unjust judge and a just God. Let's talk about the widow the oppressed and forgotten widow. So in that time, women were not viewed in a very good light. A common prayer among Jewish men was, God, thank you that I was not born a Gentile and that I was not born a woman. Yes. So uh, she was the very definition and symbol of everyone that's defenseless, everyone that feels hopeless, Everyone that feels like you don't have a voice right now. See, she had no privilege. And a privilege is a special, uh, special rights or advantages given to you because of who you are. She was the exact opposite. She was disenfranchised. She had no rights. She wasn't even supposed to be in court without a husband or an older son present. She was not allowed to own property. In fact, she was viewed more like property than a person. Have you ever felt like this widow? Have you ever felt hopeless, in despair, without a voice, not knowing what your next move was going to be? Well, the widow could have sat there, but she chose not to. And she decided to use her presence and her voice with persistence to get the judgment that she wanted. How are you using your presence? How are you using your voice 
Are you using them with persistence? Are you using them in prayer? The parable of contrast also applies to the widow and us. And I think all of us would agree that at some point, maybe right now, you have felt like the widow. You, uh, uh, all of us. I, I, I've felt like the widow, uh, and I would be surprised if there was someone in this room that did not feel like the widow at some, time, at some point in time. But the thing is, is we, we being all of us that have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are children of a living God. And because we are children of a living God, there are specific, we have an undeserved privilege as such. Romans 8, 14 and 17 says, For those who are led by the, or by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, your adoption to daughtership. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. For those that don't know what the word Abba is, it's, it's, a very, uh, it's a term of endearment for Father. For us, it would be like Daddy. <laughs> we can cry out to God, and we could say, Daddy, Abba. <laughs> it's an amazing thing that we can do that. So now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. We are sons and daughters of God. Do we all get that? Do you understand that your identity is more about who you belong to than what you do? Your identity is more about who you belong to than the amount of money you make, the car you drive, the house you live in. It's more important to who you belong to. Henry Nguyen said this, Spiritual identity means we are not what we do or what people say about us, and we are not what we have. We are the beloved daughters and sons of God. As sons and daughters of a living God, we have undeserved privilege. Romans 5.2 says, Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. What does that mean? We get this and we didn't really do anything to deserve it. That's what salvation is. That's the miracle of salvation. You don't strive for it. You don't work for it. Brought into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. So let's go back to the story because now we've talked about the unjust judge, just God, We've talked about the widow and you as a child of God. In verse 4 and 5, how did the widow get the, the judgment she wanted? So the judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. So I know I've been nagged, and I'm not by my wife. My wife would never nag me, but I know I've been nagged. And have you ever felt like you were in a place where it was like, Okay, I'm just going to give them what they want so they shut up. That is where this judge was. I'm going to give them what they want so they just leave me alone and shut up. So, um, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant request. See, even an unjust judge will make a just judgment for the wrong reason. 
He didn't do it for her. He did it for himself. How was she able to win this? Well, she was able to do that because she was able to persist to resist. Let me say that again. Persist to resist. The definition of persist is this. To hold firmly and steadfastly to a purpose, state, or undertaking despite obstacles, warnings, or setbacks. So she persisted in spite of being a woman in that culture that wasn't allowed to go into court. She persisted in spite of being a woman that was viewed as property. She persisted in spite of having to deal with an unjust judge. She kept on working to what she thought was a just judgment. So resist. Resist definition is to take action in opposition to, try to eliminate, reduce, or stop, to take action or defeat or thwart an invading or occupying military force. I don't think I have to explain to you guys how that relates to this. But the widow was able to persist with her, she persisted because she, uh, with her request because she was not willing to stand for the unjust judgment. She resisted the unjust judgment. She was not willing to stand for how she was viewed. She was not willing to stand for how culture viewed her. Why did she only go to the judge? Why didn't she go to another judge or somewhere else? Well, the reason is, is because that's the only person that could fulfill her request. Are we doing the same? Are we praying to God like he is the only option? Are we praying persistently to God like he is the only option? We like to say at this church, uh, prayer, uh, prayer should be our first response and not our last resort. Prayer should be our first response and not our last resort. So the next piece I want to talk to you about is, uh, and I, I love, absolutely love when science catches up with theology. So uh, there was... Um, <laughs> There was a, a, a psychologist, a very prog, uh, prominent psychologist in the 20th century, and his name was Carl Jung. And he said this. He said, um, so there's a natural law at work in our bodies, and that is whatever we resist grows. Carl Jung stated that what you resist not only persists, but will grow in size. And today this viewpoint is generally abbreviated to what you resist persists. Or said another way, you always get what you resist. You see what's happening here. If you're trying not to do something, if you're trying to stay away from something, instead of it working, it actually grows. Romans 7.9 says this, 7.19 says this. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong. I resist doing what's wrong. But I do it anyway. It persists. I resist, but it persists. So we've got to flip that script. We've got to persist to resist. So I'm going to show you a, a, a video here, and we'll talk about it as soon as it's uh, done. <clears throat> so you see the can. That's a full can. And let me not fall. And I actually did the research on this. That full can can support over 700 pounds. And the, unf the unfilled can, I mean, you literally can crush it in your hands. So what does that represent to us? 
When we persistently pray, we are filled up with the presence and peace of a living God. See, too many of us have tried to do it the wrong way, where we, we don't want to do something, and what do we do? We try harder not to do that thing. And inevitably, what happens? You're doing it again. And you're going, why, why, why? But you have to persist to resist. So uh, just like Carl Jung said, if you resist something, it persists to grow. We have to be more Pauline. We have to be more like what Paul said. We have to persist to resist. And the way to persist, just like the soda can, is to be filled up. When we're filled up, then we can resist. So PJ talked last week about trying over training. Resisting is trying. It doesn't work. The only thing it does is leave you frustrated. Training is persisting. Persisting in the spiritual disciplines, namely in with prayer. So why should we persist? We persist in prayer to resist being shaped by our culture. We persist in prayer to resist the devil and make him flee. We persist in prayer to, to resist our own sinful, natural tendencies. We, resist, we persist in prayer to be strengthened in the inner man. We can see that the combination of culture, our own sinful desires, and the devil are waiting to mess us up and keep us from what God really wants for us. What is needed is this. We need proactive persistent prayer over random reactive resistance. Where are you guys at? When something happens, how do you, are you already in prayer? Or when it happens, that's when you go running and it's really just a resistance. I'm going to try and I'll, and, and God, you're a piece of that, but you're not the whole thing. We need proactive, persistent prayer. We need to go on offense we need to be offensive with our prayer, not just defensive. So <clears throat> there's another thing at work here, and that is this. And that is, <laughs> if, if you don't want something, you have to want something else much more. Okay? You got to want something else much more. And uh, I'm going to use my uh, lovely wife as an example here. I'm not going to make her stand up or anything like that. But... Um, when we first started dating 11 years ago, I remember us going out on a date, and uh, <laughs> there were two things that kind of stuck out. The first was I knew she was going to marry me, and the second was uh, a comment that she made about her hair. She said, and I smoked cigarettes for 20 years, Newport 100s, oof. So she said, I hate the way your cigarettes make my hair smell. So I, and that was on the phone. We were probably talking about three hours a night. I remember hanging up the phone, and I went throughout the house, and I threw away every single cigarette I had, every single one of them. And you know what? Ever since that day, I've had no desire to pick up another cigarette. Now, did I have withdrawals and all that? Yeah. But I've had no desire for a cigarette. And the reason is, is because I desired her more than the cigarettes. So I'm going to just ask you, what is in your life right now that you want to get rid of, but you've been trying, you've been resisting, 
But you can't get rid of it because you need to persist and train. you got to be filled up just like that can needs to be filled up because that's where we find our strength in being filled. Okay? All right. So, uh, where are we? <laughs> so, uh, in the beginning, let me see here. I'm, I'm, you, you're messing me up, Dwayne. I hear you over there. <laughs> really, man? All right, so uh, Care Bear. So, um, so a couple of things here. In, in the beginning of uh, the pr- scripture passage, uh, Jesus clearly gave the meaning of the parable. And that was this. He said, uh, we should always pray and never give up. Always pray and never give up. Pray without ceasing. And to prayer, there's three answers we can get. We can get a yes, and we all love getting the yes. We can get a no, and sometimes the no is the ultimate test of our faith. And then we can get a not yet, and that's where we can just really be confused at times. So if you have gotten a yes or a not yet, no or not yet, the thing is, is with the not yet, that's what we're going to talk about with the delay. God wants to teach us through this. God wants to teach us through the delay. One thing is very true, and that is this. In the delay, we will learn much more about ourselves than about God. So there's a few things here. The first thing is this. God wants our attention focused on him. Your attention is the greatest gift that you can give. In this day and age where it's, uh, well, maybe not so much now where we're, we're in this COVID world, but even before then, I mean, we could get in a place with 100 people and you could feel like you're really connected and everyone's just doing their own thing, half paying attention. The greatest gift that you can give anybody is your attention. And the greatest gift that we can give the Father is our attention. There's a saying that goes, where your attention flows, your power goes. And that's a very true statement. Where your attention flows, your power goes. So take a look at your most important relationships in your life. Are you giving them the attention they need, that they need? Husbands, are you giving your wives the attentions they need? And vice versa. Are you giving kids the attention that they need? Well, the Father in heaven wants that attention too. And he made it really clear where he should be on the priority list. And we'll talk about that soon. Psalms 25.15 says this. My eyes are always on the Lord, for he rescues me from the traps of my enemies. What are your eyes fixed on? Are they fixed on your circumstances? Or are they fixed on a living God? A living good God? So God also uh, lets us learn about ourselves uh, through praying persistently by testing our desires, our priorities, and our maturity. So let's go through the first one. The first one is uh, desires. So what do you really want? We've all had kids at the candy store or 7-Eleven or wherever. You go to the checkout line, and what do they have? They have a bunch of what? And what does the kid want? Everything. He wants everything. And the kid throws a temper tantrum crying, ah. 
and you don't get it, you walk out, 10 minutes later, unless it's PJ's kids, uh, they stop crying and they completely forgot about it. So, so uh, sometimes God lets us wait because he wants to really us, us to understand, is this a whim or is this a real desire? Because a lot of times we just think we want stuff and we don't want it, okay? He also tests our desires because if we really want it, are we just going to pray for it once, twice, three times? If you really want something, are you willing to pray for it every day for 10 years? Every day for 20 years, if it's that important to you. There's people here that have unsaved loved ones, and you don't see any proof. You see no evidence that they're going to turn. You might see the exact opposite thing. Are you willing to continue to pray for them year after year after year? Because when you really want something bad enough, you're going to pray for it on a daily basis. God is also uh, want, waiting to give us what we are. Well, he's, he wants to change our desires as well. So uh, there's a scripture that says this, uh, Psalms 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and I will give you the desires of your heart. In prayer, in that presence of God, God will align your desires to his. Delight yourself. What does that mean? Spend time. Make your priority. Make me your joy. Find satisfaction in me. When you're doing those things in the presence of God, your desires have no choice but to be aligned to his desires. Your desires turn from selfish to selfless. The second thing is priorities. Priorities is what's important to you. You want to know what's important to you? What kept you up last night? What are you worried about right now as I'm speaking? What's on your mind? There's a right and wrong thing to do with concerns. The right thing is to do what you need to do and give it to God. The wrong thing to do is to let it affect you negatively and just stay in your mind. It's often been said of worry that worry is practical atheism. Let me say that again, because there's probably some people that uh, need to hear it again. Worry is practical atheism. Because what we do with that is we are saying that God is not in control. We are taking our trust away from a living God and putting it on ourselves. Matthew 6.33 says this, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. See, a lot of times we go to prayer, and we've got everything messed up. We talk about all our wants, right? We'll go once, and then somewhere else down here, it's, it's God. But what God wants is to seek him, and then he'll supply our needs. Seek him, and he'll supply our needs. Thirdly, Maturity. So we, we talked about desires, we talked about priorities, now we're going to talk about maturity. Uh, when your three-year-old is in the store and they melt down and have a temper tantrum, okay, that's what three-year-olds do, right? If you have a 15-year-old in the store having a temper tantrum, that's kind of concerning. What's the difference? Maturity. Maturity is the difference. God is trying to mature us. There is some stuff you're not ready to get. 
And God's got to test us and he's got to mature us before we get those things. So God is maturing us. See, maturity allows us to know the difference between a no and a not yet and a denial and a delay. So we have to trust God in the not yet. We have to trust God in the no. But sometimes we get a no and not yet, and we're going, God, how can you not say yes to this? I don't understand. I don't understand how uh, this makes any sense. I don't understand that car accident. I don't understand the cancer. I don't understand this divorce that I don't want. I don't understand these things. And uh, that's where faith really kicks in. Because Romans 8.28 says this. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. In the moment, it may, it may be really hard to understand that. And if you're blessed and fortunate, you'll be able to see how God uses it and turns it for the good, maybe in a week, maybe in a month, maybe in a year, maybe in 10 years. Sometimes we just have to wait until the other side of eternity. But we've got to trust in the character of God more than our circumstances. And the thing is this, we see a sentence in an infinitely long book that God is the author of. And we get so wrapped up in that one sentence and where we are in that sentence, we lose sight that he is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the one that was created. He created all this and he's got us and we've got to be able to trust that. We also have to look at it from the perspective of us that are in this room that are parents. Sometimes we have to say no to our children. If my 10-year-old wanted to drive a car on the interstate, I'm going to say no. Some of y'all may be asking for things that's kind of like a 10-year-old driving on the interstate. You may not be ready for it yet. And God's got to grow you up a little bit. So sometimes God's got to say no because you haven't done the right test for the blessing that, he want, that you want. So let me just uh, wrap up uh, the, the points that I, I, I communicated. Uh, the first is persist to resist. Can you guys say that? Okay, persist to resist. All right, so that's one thing that I want everyone to get, and that is because just like John preached last week about training over trying, We've got to flip it, guys. We, we, we've got to get to a place where we fill ourselves up and we understand that trying not to do something in our own power will just lead to frustration in us doing it over and over and over again. We've got to get ourselves filled up with the Spirit of God. So with persisting to resist, Jesus is the gold standard. <laughs> he came down and he had every temptation that we did. Sometimes we minimize them as, okay, but that's God. But he constrained himself to a body that like we had, with a mind like we had, with urges like we had. And he sinned not. Why? Because he persisted. It Bible talks about it time and time again. Jesus always went to God in prayer to be filled up, to be filled up, 
to be filled up. And because he was so filled up, it was very easy for him to be able to resist. We're doing 14 days of prayer and fast now. And um, when you're fasting, you're denying yourself. It's an emptying of self. And that's what Jesus did. He fasted for 40 days in Matthew 3 or 4 before he went into the wilderness. And then he was tempted by the devil uh, three times. And every time he successfully passed the test. And then after that test, he went into his ministry. Uh, But with that emptying, you would say, oh gosh, he's got to be so weak. And I've heard people say, man, Jesus was so weak at that time. He fasted for 40 days and nights. How could he ever resist? But the thing was, he was persisting. In the desert, Jesus persisted. In the fasting and praying, he was filled up with the Spirit of God. And that's where we got to get, guys. We got to get to a place where we want him more than anything else. Persisting in prayer should be a pursuit of God that shifts from his hands to his face. Looking at his face, we can see who God is. And then we see him looking back at us. And he really sees us. He sees all the good things that have happened to us and that we've done. He sees all the bad things. And he sees even those ugly things that have been done to us. He sees you. And he knows you. I mean, he really knows who you are. (laughs) More than anybody in this world could ever know you. I often say, if someone knew all my thoughts, how could they possibly love me? How could they possibly love me? But Jesus sees all of your thoughts, and he loves you. He is the only one that can fill that void and satisfy you. He is the only one. All the other things, no matter how good they are, can never satisfy that that hole in your heart that only God and Jesus can fill. Secondly, I want you to remember, pray from a position of privilege. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of a living God. You are loved and known by the creator of the universe. He created a universe so big, we don't even know what the end of it is. With so much detail that we don't even know the smallest particle. And he knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows every thought you have. And he still loves you. God desires and craves for a relationship with you. It's really a, it's an amazing thought that a God of, the God of creation wants to know who you are. And he wants a relationship with you. The third point is this. Pray like God is the only option. Pray like he's the only option. Make him your first response and not your last resort. Earlier we talked about 
God being a just God. And you know what? I'm so glad that he's not just a just God. Because if he was a just God and that's all he was, the Bible says real clear, all have sinned and fall short of the glory. And that the wages of sin is death. So if God was just a just God, where does that leave us? But he's so much more. He's a God of justice, but he's also a God of mercy. Jesus came and lived the perfect life. He persisted. He was filled up with God's spirit. He resisted. He sinned not so he could be offered as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. Everything that you've, I've done, will do, and have done, Jesus has covered it with his blood. And I thank you, God, that you are not just a God of justice, but that you are a God of mercy and love. Thank you again for joining us today. If you need prayer, have any questions about what you just heard, or said yes to Jesus for the first, second, or third time today, please reach out to us at lifehousenn.com or text 757-690-2401. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you and help guide you through the next steps in your faith journey. In the meantime, we hope you'll join us online next Sunday at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at lifehouseonline.com or in person for a live worship service at 8.30 a.m. or 10.15 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Theater in Newport News, Virginia. Visit LifehouseNN.com for more information or to reserve your live worship service spot today.